Welcome to episode four of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast. I'm Rod. You can follow me on Instagram at Rod Kim Rocks. And I'm JC. You can follow me as the John Carl on pretty much everything. T-H-E. J-O-H-N-C-A-R-L-E, because nobody ever gets my name right. Cyclops is Waiting for Me is our weekly podcast series where we're going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men, the animated series, in their original intended script order, building up to the release of X-Men 97, which is coming to Disney Plus next year. Some quick reminders. We're a recap show about a series that came out three decades ago, so there's going to be spoilers. If you don't want it spoiled, pause the podcast, go watch the episode, come back. We'll do our best to avoid mentioning anything about future episodes in case you're just watching this in real time for the first time, which, good for you. Better late than never, I guess. We're currently not sponsored or affiliated with Disney or Disney Plus, but we're still open to free stuff. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel because we'll also upload the audio podcast there. YouTube, great audio platform. <laughs> and make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast service. Finally, we record these episodes in batches right now. That may change in the future, but right now we're doing them in groups. So if we're reacting to some of the news, it may not be the most timely. And you may have heard about it up to three to four weeks ago. I'm not sorry because there's a pandemic happening. <laughs> now onto the show. Today we're going to be talking about episode five, Captive Hearts, which initially when it started, I didn't think I remembered this episode. Really? That changed <laughs> as the episode went along. I was going to say, because this is is one of the very, I don't want to call it seminal episodes, but it is one that is often referenced and is actually based off of two-part story from the comics. You know what? It, just because so any kids listening that were born after the year 2000, there were times where you just missed TV shows and then they wouldn't come back on or they'd be a long time. So I wonder if this was one I just missed the opening of. You only saw the second half maybe? Or something. Or yeah. you know, something. Or maybe I was arguing with my brother for the first half. Anything's open, you know, because it wasn't like I could just stream it or pause it or rewind or whatever. So I initially I was like, I don't think I remember this episode and I got excited because I was like, is this a new new episode? That wasn't a spoiler, wasn't it? Wasn't it? <laughs> So the episode starts off in the danger room. We see Storm in a little bit of a leadership role in the danger room. They have this incredibly awkward moment where somebody actually says, remember what happened to Morph in there. And it's like, oh, wow, that's... <laughs> There's motivation, and then there's like a gut punch, and that yeah. was definitely the gut punch kind of motivation. And it was really great to see the danger room in action because we got a tease in the very first episode. Yep. And then this one, we actually get to kind of see like more fleshed out like simulation. Yeah, we we start to see that it's a combination of various death traps that are constantly going, and Professor reminding people that they need to work together. Something I thought that was really interesting in this shot, in you know. At the time, there there wasn't the ability to go back and make quick changes. You were getting footage from overseas, and it wasn't a digital file. People were literally sending reels and stuff to mm -hmm. each other. Jean's chest was actually miscolored. So instead of it being black or blue in the center with the orange on the sides, it was just like the same color, like tan across all of it. And then we actually see a little bit of a payoff from Storm's claustrophobia that we mentioned in our previous episode. And you see a young version of Storm in what looks like something is collapsing, giving us a reason of why was she freaking out in the previous episode as that wall was collapsing. But one thing that stood out to me, she was discolored. And I mean, her skin color actually did not line up either. Yeah. And again, I don't know if it's because I'm watching it on Disney Plus and that's not a problem across the board, yeah. but she was definitely not the same skin tone that she is. Like the 
child version of child version yeah of i noticed that too yeah. i thought it was like he's like was that just like a weird like film reel thing or something or was it just the we don't have time to fix it i think like, it was <laughs> a we don't have time to fix it because whoever wrote kid storm must not have wrote storm they probably said kid yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we get a little bit of a jump over Wolverine, who's not in a full karate gi, but he has karate pants on working out in his room. And then we get the moment that inspired <laughs> the name of the podcast in this episode, where you have this interaction with Jean and Wolverine, and she's telling him not to push himself because she knows he's still injured from the attack from Sabretooth, which, holy crap, this Wolverine does not heal anywhere near as fast as comic book Wolverine. Let's yeah. just throw that out there right now. Is this now. supposed to be the next? day or even if it's the next yeah. day because in if for some reason in my head maybe it's because at the time when these were being broadcast it was almost weekly yeah it was weekly. so in my head it was just like okay this is like a week later so i was like why is he still bandaged up isn't he wolverine yeah <laughs> but wolverine overextends himself and ends up reeling in pain a little bit and you have this awkward moment between gene and wolverine and she's like oh i've got to go cyclops is waiting for me and then you have the most pitiful wolverine response of the entire series where he goes, so am I. I noticed that. I was like, I don't remember that moment of weakness Wolverine as a kid. Maybe I just didn't pick up on it, you know? Well, apparently you didn't watch the first half of this episode <laughs> as, as we've gone through. You know, that's a pretty good point. Maybe yeah. I just didn't see it. Maybe you had not, act, you were like, what is John talking about when he's <laughs> suggesting the name of the podcast is Cyclops is waiting for me? Actually, I did not remember this quote. I, it just sounded like something that would be in the show. You know what's interesting? That line, even if I didn't recognize it as a kid, now Cyclops is waiting for me. Like, I, is that the first hint we got that Wolverine had a thing for uh, Gene? If it was done in a previous episode, it was so subtle. This was the first time where it was obvious. Because we had Rogue in the previous episode saying to Cyclops, like, don't worry, I won't tell Gene. They're like, okay, so they're a thing. Yeah. And then now we're in this thing where Gene's like, okay, Cyclops, I gotta go. My boyfriend or whatever, my partner yep. is waiting for me. He's just like very clear, like, it's like the equivalent of like asking someone out and they're like, oh, I've got a boyfriend. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. And it's like, but I could be your boyfriend. Right. And it's like, oh, well, uh, sorry, bro. Uh, and then is this where the, the Morlocks start? So we cut to Cyclops and Gene walking out of the theater. They went with Phantom of the Opera, which to their credit, in 1993, if you were going to go into New York City for a date, that probably would have still been on Broadway. I say that with total lack of research to confirm it. It ran for a long it time. It ran for a long time. Yeah. It was like that and cats yeah, yeah 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 i don't understand cats but <laughs> we we don't we don't have to get into cats on this one so but no that ma that makes sense if you're going especially if you're a boy scout like scott that makes sense like i'm gonna take this woman on date this is this is what date look like he's not a robot <laughs> a boy scout and a robot are different and here's how you know they're different <laughs> As they're leaving, Gene could tell there's something bothering Scott, mm -hmm. and it's the guilt from what has happened so far. He's experiencing guilt for the decisions he's made where members of the team have gotten hurt and such, mm -hmm. you know. So a robot wouldn't have that emotion. <laughs> he's beating himself up probably too hard for it, yeah. but the emotion is still there. And as they're leaving, that's where we see the first of the Morlocks. Little tiny green guy. Looks like he is stealing fruit. The character is Leech. He says his name a little yeah. bit later in the episode. And he's using telekinesis 
to grab the fruit. Telekinesis is not Leech's power. I was wondering about that. The moment was confusing because it was almost like, was that a gene moment or something? Or? So Leech, even in this show, his power is he's able to shut down other mutants' powers. Yes, but they show a little bit later. Right, and, and that's why. It's like, okay, that's still actively a part of his power set. And in the X-Men movie that has the juggernaut, that's why Kitty Pride doesn't get killed because of the charge, even though he's not a mutant. So, <laughs> and in the comics, that is his whole thing. That's why he's called Leech. He literally leeches the power off of people, but unlike Rogue, he doesn't need to make physical contact with them, and he doesn't absorb the power to take it on himself. He just removes it from the equation, essentially. When a few people see that Leech is trying to steal the fruit, they decide to chase him. Gene and, and Cyclops do what they do. They run down into the subway, and you see a confrontation between this group of humans as well as a bunch of who we would find out are the Morlocks, and there's a bunch of them there. They are not all named. Did a little bit of, of digging on them. You have Annalie, who is the little old lady. You have Sunder, who is the big jacked uh, ogre looking guy. I don't think you saw his power yet, but you have Ape and Ape is able to physically like shapeshift. He has a little bit of like a wider, broader jaw. You have the guy with the flat top hair with the eye patch. His name is Erg, which is just a really, really weird <laughs> name. You have a few others that are going to show up later. You have Mask, Tommy, Plague, Glowworm, you have Scaleface. These are all like ones that are kind of deep cuts in, in some regards. And then you have the one that I'm actually not going to say his name because it is rather offensive in, oh. in modern times. <laughs> they did not say it in the episode, but he is the one who basically makes the black goo that creates the wall yeah, yeah, in the sewer. And he's one of the characters that at some point in X-Men comics has been killed. And even with all of the resurrection that happens in comic books, he has not been brought back yet. Oh, he's, he's a Marvel Silent of the South. I mean. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So I just showed it to Rod. And again, if you want to look it up, you can look it up. But I don't feel comfortable saying that because it... At least they had enough forethought to not like audibly say it yep. <laughs> in anything. Yep. I want to know the history on Tommy. She was like paper or something like and morphing. When she turned around, she was literally paper thin. Yeah. So Tommy, for those who don't know, is one that is unnamed in the show. I had to do a little bit of digging online to find her. She turns sideways and she has like pastel colors to her. So there's lots of white and then some pastel pink, blue and, and yellow. And I think that's one of the things about the Morlocks is because there's just this whole group of them that cannot pass as regular humans. Mm -hmm. The exception being Annalie. Annalie yeah. definitely could have because she was just she a little, little old lady. lady. Yeah. yeah, but she just has this weird power and she can say things and whatever she keeps repeating, people will listen to. It's so interesting because the dichotomy of like what you were, we were talking about with the X-Men being in the previous episodes, like they're not quite a team yet. Morlocks, very heavily established like teamwork. Oh, yeah. Like very like, it's almost like knocking dominoes over. Yeah. The one thing that stood out to me from this scene more than anything else, the animation team did not know what a subway train from New York City looked like. Because <laughs> you can look back at any movie that has taken place in the New York subway of the last 40 years and probably yeah. at least another 10 years prior to that, they all look the same. It's just a matter of how much graffiti is on the shitty ones in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. But- that was not a U.S., definitely not a New York City subway train. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty sanitized. Yeah. Like, is this what Canadians think America's like? Ooh. <laughs>
because all the voice actors are from Canada. Yeah, that's that's yeah. A psychic call goes out from Gene to Professor Xavier, basically being like, we're in trouble. There's not a firm where we are location, but Professor X is able to know that there's a problem and have a relative idea of where they are. This is also where two incredible things happen in the episode. One, you get the meme image where Wolverine is laying on his bed (laughs) with a framed photo. And here's the funniest thing about the framed photo to me. It's not a framed photo of Gene. Yeah. It is a framed photo of Gene and Scott together. Why does he have that photo? And he's in his full uniform. That doesn't even bother me. This is an added level of like, just it's kind of like, you know, like when you get in your comfortable place or something. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. Because it's it's not even like, because there have been times where he's in uniform, but he has the mask off. off. He has the mask on. Oh, yeah. That meme was how they announced the X-Men 97 series. It is. <laughs> Go for the team for being aware of the internet. It was also a recent re-release. I believe it was Mezco. I could be wrong in the toy company. Okay. But they made the toy in its Wolverine and the oh. box is him on the bed holding the thing. So it's- That's awesome. And they're apparently doing a whole line of characters from this series. But yeah, the toy is him in meme position that's and such. amazing I, lo- I love when you you listen to the fans you know yeah i don't know if it's out of character i guess it's meant to be like jarring like it's like oh he's actually got feelings <laughs> you look at this like grown man with like 20 ab muscles and he's just like oh and is like you said like touching a picture of gene and scott maybe yeah. he, maybe he just wanted to be part of triad they, I mean, were, they weren't open to the conversation i mean <laughs> here's the thing one it was the 90s so triads definitely weren't a part of the conversation <laughs> i mean they're already in a secret school yeah so it's true <laughs> and then when you look at modern comics there is some sort of thruple-esque relationship oh, that's really? going on in the current version. Yeah. So it's not unheard of. Don't think that was the intent of that yeah, scene in, in the show. In however. 1992 children's show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this episode is just for us filled with memes. One being the name of our show. Two being the most famous meme to come out of the show. And three being Gambit in a Speedo. I had forgotten about that even after rewatching it. So you just mentioned it. Because <laughs> you see Rogue in, you know, a traditional bathing suit. Yeah. And... He's, I mean, it's not like banana hammock, but he's just in a Speedo. He is in short shorts. He's fully aware of his sexual appeal. Yeah, and and that brings you back to comics from that age, because this is around the time of the Jim Lee era of comics, and they did a couple issues into that. It was like the X-Men or Marvel swimsuit special. And <laughs> I don't I didn't remember this. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a comic in that era. And it was like everybody out of costume and in bathing suits. And obviously, like it was really cheesecakey in lots of respects to the women. Yeah. But Gambit was wearing like a Speedo in that one too. Oh. And most other people like Scott is wearing like board shorts. And like the typical Boy Scout shit. But it was like Gambit is like, I am a Speedo bro. I don't know if it was just like left interpretation because animation, like animated and drawn things didn't have that much detail. But I remember him having like a mullet pigtail situation. It was was like a rat tail or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was was definitely like crew cut on the sides. Yes. Like here come on top. And then the rat tails like, what is this happening right now? And that makes it even funnier that in the first first episode, which we discussed, he goes to the mall in full X gear. (laughs) But he doesn't like live in that stuff because he obviously went into a pool. So it's like he's not unheard of to walk around without whatever the weird black thing that surrounds his head is. I thought it was interesting, too. I know that they had Rogue in her swimsuit because it's, you know, she's supposed to be sexy and everything. But it's like for a woman who can like kill someone by touching them, bold pool night, you know? I mean, 
I mean, it's hard to swim in like full body. Gear, yeah. But. And I mean, she's she usually wears like, a you know, the, the bomber jacket and yeah. stuff like that. And I would assume that if you're in the pool with Rogue, you're not going to automatically be like, let's do chicken fights <laughs> because her legs are going to be on your shoulders and she's going to absorb you because of her thighs. Like that yeah. seems like a dangerous route to take. It's like Zoolander or like gasoline fight. <laughs> Rogue in a chicken fight. <laughs> is the mutant equivalent of the, of the gasoline, gasoline fight. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So Professor Axe basically says, we need to go save them, gathers everybody, you know, it's gung-ho, everybody's all for it. We see Scott down in the sewers. We find out that Callisto has decided that Cyclops needs to be her mate. I was gonna say, my note was like, Callisto is thirsty. <laughs> yeah. And she's not taking no for an answer. The thing that I thought was really funny, and again, you know, liberties, it's an alternate universe, but Cyclops says that his power is fueled by sunlight. I had a question about that. Has that been a thing before? If it has, it's not consistent. I have not heard that mentioned in so long that I can't even remember where it is in the comics. And that could be a classic era thing that they've retconned out, yeah. but I don't remember that being a thing, at least in the modern era. It kind of flagged to me as something that like, if you're writing and you don't have like, you know, decades of knowledge or whatever, these characters, you're like, laser beams for eyes, sun sounds right, right? Because that is the thing with Superman. That is absolutely the thing with Superman, yeah. So maybe that was just kind of like a Eric and Julia, if he listens to this later, sorry if I'm being offensive. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. Like, yep. it, it maybe, maybe Was that part of the thinking? It was like, well, that must be it. Or they're like, however many like feet underground. So that's the thing. But like, yeah, I thought that was interesting because I heard of in the current times with the MCU, I've, I've been hearing all these like fan theories of how they're going to introduce X-Men to the MCU. Someone had mentioned like, what if it has something to do with solar power and like how the sun is something that's sent by the celestials the power of the things and stuff this is for the 12 people that saw eternals you know they kind of <laughs> they, they kind of show like i feel like if there's anybody who's listening to an x-men animated series podcast yeah. we have a higher than average person likelihood that they eventually have seen Eternals. So the 14 people that saw Eternals. There you go. <laughs> they introduced this thing of the Celestial, I guess spoilers for Eternals for some reason, but it, they introduced the Celestials and how like, you know, the grand plan is like these planets almost exist to birth additional like future Celestials. It's stuff. not an almost, that's literally yeah. what the point is. So, yeah. so like, I forget how connected, but basically it was like, what if the sun is something that's like actually placed by a Celestial to fuel the births of other Celestials and stuff? And what if that's how like mutants come into the MCU? What a deep cut if that ends up of being anywhere near the truth to this thing about Cyclops' powers. I don't think it is. I, think it's I was going to say, it's, I think it's radiation. But yeah, <laughs> but that's the only reason it's, it, I don't think it ever flagged for me that he said that before. It's after watching Eternals and hearing those fan theories. See, I definitely didn't connect it to Eternals, but it just, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that I probably read two X-Men comics a week. Rod has seen my kitchen table, which is covered in comic books right now. And usually there's what, like still 17 X-Men books that are out. So I only buy yeah. two of them a week. <laughs> and that is not a thing for Cyclops. The group goes down. This episode still, by the way, has no Beast in it. This is another episode in a row that Beast is in prison. Because he's still in prison. He's in prison right now. Yeah. Or holding or whatever. But it was also something that Eric Leewald talked about in the book where they literally thought it out in advance of a order of rotation to give people different moments for their characters mm -hmm. and purposely would leave people out in certain episodes. Like Gambit wasn't in the previous episode with Magneto and all that. Real quick, before the other guys show up, I think Cyclops is like, where's Jean? Yep. And then Callisto like drops Jean down from a rope on the ceiling. So two questions about that. I know we have this thing about like people just aren't looking up. She was literally like two feet above his head. <laughs> and he's like, where's Dude had just been knocked out, Rod. <laughs> was he laying on the ground though looking up? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
Shut up, Rod. <laughs> okay, and then second question. As soon as she just dropped down on the rope, she uses her telekinesis to escape. Either Jean has just become conscious, or it's just, I, I'm guessing it's just plot device. But really interesting that like it's an action that she just could have done. But mostly the thing where she was hanging from the ceiling in front of Scott. See, I think it was, <laughs> she hit the ground so hard that that's when she decided to, yeah. I don't know. So our team that goes down into the sewers, by the way, Professor X doesn't know exactly where they are. They literally go down the same subway stop. Oh. So we knew exactly where they were. Yeah. Didn't think uh, about that. Uh, and in like the deep recesses of like under New York. But you have Wolverine, you have Gambit, you have Rogue, and you have Storm who go down there. There is a moment where I believe it's Gambit who tries to get Wolverine to not push Storm. And Wolverine is is obviously an advocate of tough love. So he goes, let her ask herself. And I thought that was really interesting because oh, yeah. he doesn't want to coddle Storm. And I think knowing what we've known about the character for this long, she's not the kind of person who wants to be coddled. So I, I actually thought that was a really great moment for those to even if they weren't directly interacting with each yeah, other. You can tell they have history together. Yeah. So they go down, they start, you know, revealing where people are. Wolverine encounters Jean first. And as he's trying to rescue her, Jean is brainwashed. Annalee makes him think that he has scorpions all over him. It's just a really funny scene because it's like, it's a preamble to the bees from Wicker Man for me. Oh, <laughs> it's like, you are covered in scorpions. You're yeah. covered. I'm covered in scorpions. I was like, looking at that old lady and just being like, man, she could potentially be the most powerful person she- on earth. She's the most powerful. It's like between her, Gene, Magneto, and Professor X. Mm Mm-hmm as of right now in the show, are the four most powerful mutants on the planet (laughs) to me. Because, yes, she fooled Gene, which was Yeah, she tricked Gene. Yeah. And and just personal side note, so cringy seeing Gene act like a... (laughs) The, the like little the girl vibe. Like, yeah. Oh my God. It was yeah. so hard to watch. Yep. We see Cyclops or we think is Cyclops and he's knocked out in Wolverine. The smell of Wolverine is brought up again in this episode. He says, you know, I forgot the exact phrasing, but he's basically like, you don't smell like motor oil or something. Oh, I think he just says he doesn't smell like Morlock. Is it Morlock? It's funny because the tone of his voice, it came across as like an offensive term. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> It's like, that's dirty. Yeah. Yeah. But he pulls out his claw, acts like he's going to stab Cyclops. We see that it's Ape, who I alluded to earlier. And then the fight kicks in. So at that point, fight breaks out. We get the theme music from the show playing in the background. Gives a great vibe to it and everything like that. Also really great from a timing perspective because it was like, okay, if they only have a 45 second intro song, (laughs) it's going to be a 45 second fight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember it finishing on like the- The The sting. Yeah, Yeah, the sting. But also like- this is for the music nerds out there. You can hear the song without the sound effects, the without the foley. Because if you watch on my <laughs> YouTube video with Ron Wasserman, he talks about how the bell wasn't in there and like the lightning strikes and stuff were, oh no, the bell was in the song later, but like the lightning strike was added by sound effects later. It was an interesting thing, even though it's in the background, you hear the song in almost kind of pure form. There's different, there's different foley so, on yeah. top of it, but it's not the visual foley from the intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, you, that you were like, is this part of the music or is it not? Then we get an interaction with Gambit and the Morlock plague and that one's an interesting one because in the comics the plague scenario is a much much bigger deal but that's actually the origin of one of the plagues that oh, interesting also like the morlocks if it wasn't already like kind of apparent for me it was one of the first introductions as a kid not in history class of kind of like classism because you know obviously that everybody's a mutant but like there's these mutants that can kind of be covert almost with the exception obviously of like beast and nightcrawler and all that stuff they're like in this kind of like house on the hill almost literally they're in a mansion and then we have these 
others with the exception of the old lady that are so like physically different than homo sapiens they're literally hiding in the basement or if even if it's not a physical difference it's more of like a i don't know maybe there's some like backstory of like how they were brought up in like a lower like financial class or something you, you definitely didn't want the morlocks to like win over the x-men but I felt like you still kind of felt something for him because you're like, they're just trying to survive. You felt bad for him. We see Wolverine has the opportunity to leave Cyclops behind, chooses not to. He would rather be sad than see Gene sad for that reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And they kind of had that bonding moment at the end of the previous episode. No. Then we see the duel also takes place in the comics very differently in the comic. The lightsaber battle. The lightsaber battle <laughs> where Storm steps up as a leader because she was the leader of that field team. So Storm, Wolverine, Gambit, and Rogue. She was considered the leader going into it. And basically it's I challenge you so you don't try to get retribution on me. And it was essentially for the respect of your tribe was her phrasing. And then it was lightsabers. Somebody called it out. They're like, are you crazy? I remember thinking when I was watching it, I was like, well, no, she's not crazy. She can control like the weather and stuff. But then they, they established a world like no powers. Right. And I was like, okay, now you're crazy. Yeah, now you're crazy. <laughs> but also, I don't know why the lightsabers lit up because they were holding the lit up parts of the lightsaber. So it wasn't Darth Maul rules, yeah. which obviously didn't exist yet. But the double side, it lit up and it didn't do anything where it was lit up because they were physically holding on the lit up part, yeah. not the center. Maybe I missed it, but I don't know where they came from. They just get tossed they to just them? They just got tossed to them. Okay. Yeah. Same place Sabretooth came from in the courtroom interdimensional portals so they go back and forth storm comes out on top and she has the option where she could have killed callisto she decides not to and she gives this like rousing speech of like you no longer need to be down here and it kind of alludes to your classism and such of you can join us and blah 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 the morlocks are like we can't come to the surface they're like Mm -hmm. we don't have this ability or privilege that you do like if we go up there we're going to be ridiculed you might be all right with us being up there but there's a whole world that isn't. This is a really interesting commentary, which has to be on purpose, you know? Maybe Annalie is just so old looking that she's <laughs> worried she's going to suffer to ageism. There you go. I actually... I still don't know why Annalie... I, I it, mean, I think it, I think it's because Annalie in the comics has such a close relationship to Leech, where she's like a parental figure yeah. for him, that that's probably why she won't go. She absolutely can pass as a little old lady in, in New York City. Or maybe she had some trauma from like a you know whenever powers like a manifestation yeah, and it, yeah. like something traumatic like i feel like rogue in, in like in a different circumstance could have been part of the morlocks too after her whole experience with her boyfriend that yeah. she described it was like she could just been traumatized and be like i'm gonna go in the sewers for the rest of my life yeah so and we'll, we will talk about that in a future episode yeah so this is the episode where the meme of scott and gene making out in the background while wolverine's like in the foreground like left out yeah and it's just awkward deadpan from his face yeah <laughs> yeah this episode is just filled with memes is this 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 has to be the most memed episode of the show i guess we'll find out i was genuinely surprised like i said I didn't remember watching it until maybe at least a third of the way in. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, this, this, this. I also don't remember the Morlocks being introduced this early. I would not be surprised if I just missed this episode the week it came out and then I saw it later on on a rerun. Yeah. And then the thing that stands out for me without going too into the details is there is a later episode featuring the Morlocks around Christmas. That is apparently one of the later season episodes that I swear I saw that almost as much as the first episode of the series. (laughs) 
Oh, probably because they re-ran it like every holiday season. Yeah, they must have re-ran it on like a weekly basis. But so. I, you know, that makes sense if I missed it and saw a rerun because there isn't very much in this episode that I can think of that makes it chronologically essential in this like order. Like I feel like you could have watched this one several episodes or a season later and it might not necessarily like seem totally out of place, right? No, I think I think it has to feel out of place because this is the one where Wolverine kind of like pisses off for a bit. Well, I guess like, well, I mean, as a kid, sorry. Yeah. One. Like as a kid, it's like, okay, so uh, we don't see Beast and all this stuff, but he doesn't have to be in prison. It's just kind of, a, it's just a little standalone story. Mm. So it is serialized in the sense of like, there's things that are through lines. Yep. But like Storm having the claustrophobic moment, they mentioned Morph and everything. Maybe also it was because the first like four episodes are basically continuations of each other. That's true. <laughs> this is the first one that didn't end in a to be continued. Yeah. And then the end of the episode, everybody is kind of in a celebratory mood. They see that Wolverine has basically abandoned his room and there is the picture of Gene and Cyclops ripped in half with the claw mark in between the two of them. And again, I still don't know why the only picture he has of Gene to lust over is the picture of Gene and Cyclops together. Yeah, or like not at least one he hadn't modified yet or he hadn't like folded it over so it's just Gene or something. Right, like that would have been what we would do in modern storytelling (laughs) is he has the picture of the two of them for, again, whatever reason, but it's, it's like he folded it in half and it's yeah. framed or so, oh, so you know here, here here like a little head cannon yeah. right so they had Wolverine and Cyclops had this bonding moment at the end of the last episode when Storm almost sacrificed herself yep and stuff so now Wolverine's like into him too he's like you know what if I can't just have Gene I'm alright <laughs> I'm really pushing for this you're part really part. pushing for it right now <laughs> So a few notes from the writers on the show. They love this episode because it showcased the claustrophobia, which is what they felt was a really interesting weakness for somebody who is so powerful. And I think it went to your point earlier mm-hmm. of like, yeah, Storm can just like wave her fingers and like blow off walls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was like for somebody so strong, claustrophobia is something that she internalizes and becomes really powerless because of. And you're way more knowledgeable in the comic book side of things. Was this something that was like established before the animated series in the comics? I don't remember the order. I do know that claustrophobia is a theme within Storm's yeah, canon though. Yeah, I know in the long uh, the big picture it is, but I was like, whoever came up with it, whether it was the comic writers or the show writers and stuff, what a, like a perfect like weakness for someone. You know, it was something that was in character bio for Storm from the important stuff about her that was actually gotcha. talked about in the book. Yeah, because she like because literally she ha- her power is basically open space, right? Like yep. the earth and things, and so the fact that like it makes sense. Like if you're in an enclosed space, it's easy to think you don't have power, but like as an outsider, you're like, oh yeah, you can just blow the walls off, right? Yep. But for her, for, because of her trauma, she's like, it's the opposite of what is usually her strength. There were a few other really important things in this episode that the writers, Bob and Marty in particular, they wanted to use this as a way to set up a love triangle. They actually compared it to Rick saving Victor in Casablanca and losing, I think her name's Ilsa, the main female character. Yeah, yeah. One person decides to save the other, but because of that, that person then gets the girl and they don't. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a bittersweet reward of you did the right thing. The yeah. other person is is going to get your love interest yeah. because you saved them. And then the, the other thing that really stood out was the climactic battle for a what was called a boys action television show mm-hmm. was between two female characters. 
Interesting. Yeah. I wish we had like kind of more accurate statistics of like shows that are this old and stuff. Because like you said, at the time it was very clear, like, oh, this is marketed towards boys. But I feel like now I have like a lot of female peers that are like, oh, I watched that show growing up too. Like we love that, you know? Yeah. Because it, like you said, it had a lot of girl power moments in it, like between Storm and Rogue. And like, I think even in the very first episode was the first battle we saw just like Jubilee, Rogue and Storm. like so With like, Gambit. But yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was still three quarters. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, like it, it initiated with Storm and Rogue. Rogue trying to save Yeah, Charlie, because right? they yeah. like rogue through the escalator thing, which, which <laughs> yeah. is fucking horrifying. Yeah. Because if you've seen the underside of an escalator, right. it's just final destination shit. And then the final thing to bring up, as mentioned earlier, this was inspired very heavily by Uncanny X-Men numbers 169 and 170. Few things changed in it. Angel was actually the one who was kidnapped to be with Callisto, not Cyclops in that one. The mutant who gets hit with the plague is Kitty Pride, And then Storm and Callisto fight for the lead similar but instead of it being lightsabers it's a knife fight and it's like <laughs> super super violent Storm stabs Callisto I believe in the heart where she doesn't die yeah, yeah. for whatever plot device but it's like violent and that was actually a moment for Storm where she changed as a character if you look at some of the legacy Storm outfits she at one point starts donning like a cutoff leather vest she shaves her head into like the mohawk and stuff like that that came after this issue because she kind of took on a little bit of Callisto's persona. I didn't realize that. I remember the different incarnations of Storm, which is actually my uh, user avatar on Disney Plus. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, shocking. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a faux hawk kind of thing. Oh, they no, they, this was this one was full mohawk yeah, yeah, version. Yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. I remember that. But I, that makes so much sense that she it was kind of like to be part of the the Morlocks yeah. and stuff. Wow. Yeah, and I, th- I think because in, in this version, she is not as active in the leadership role of the Morlocks as as what she did in the comics because in the end of the episode she basically says Callisto is leading in my stead but yeah that was the episode I think anything else that, that stood out to you Rod before we wrap up surprise one more note about Storm like, I mean it was a Storm episode so yeah. that's pretty reasonable so all the stuff they showed about Storm in this episode and then the things you mentioned about her being in like the leather jacket and the mohawk and stuff is one of the five million reasons I hated the X-Men movies the one consistent thing with Storm if nothing else besides her power set was that she was always power Powerful, like in a position of power, even if other people didn't put her there, she put herself there. And that was the exact opposite that Halle Berry Storm did, both in the writing and her depiction. Yeah. If anybody who has any future decisions on X-Men Storm and the live action MCU universe and stuff, whatever happens with her in the future, just one of the core character tenants can't be saying something about frog exploding and lightning and stuff. Like, just... <laughs> I love your optimism that by episode four of this podcast, you think we're going to have MCU decision makers (laughs) listening to it. I appreciate that. So I'm the naysayer (laughs) slash negative one of the group and Rod is hopeful. So I'm just cautious. I've said dumb things about large properties this way many times where someone who's had a say in it has, you know what, I'll just come out and say it. So there's times like I work in music, I'm a songwriter. There's been times I've hated songs that I've charted and I'll just say it on Facebook or Twitter. And then one of my friends who wrote the song is like, I tried my best. I'm like, oh, God damn it. Well, you know, you're still doing better than me because you charted. Rod still is not charted. So long story. (laughs) I think we can't go out on a higher note than that. Thanks for joining us. If you have any thoughts, make sure to drop them in the comments for either the YouTube upload or the official Instagram post about this episode. If you liked what you heard, we'd appreciate your rating on a podcast app of your choosing. And uh, still working on that <laughs> catchphrase, that outro. Rod still has not charted, but damn it if he doesn't love Storm. There you go. Don't fuck up, Storm. Storm.